Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... The most difficult thing for a salesman is to not take no as a failure. No means that you haven't really explained it to the customer what the customer wants. You haven't overcome the objection. In part two of our interview, Chemist Warehouse co-founder and chair Jack Gantz reveals how, in the beginning, he had to hock everything to build his pharmacy chain, Chemist Store by Chemist Store, and his distribution business. But since 1991, the group has had no debt. How did he do that? plus a possible IPO and maybe even acquisitions in the United States could be on his to-do list. And right now, his latest venture, Optometrist Warehouse, is being slowly rolled out in a suburb near you. This guy just cannot sit still. Hope you enjoy. Jack Gantz, co-founder and now chairman of Chemist Warehouse. Thanks for being with us. It's just extraordinary what Chemist Warehouse has or how it's really impacted both the retailing and the whole kind of pharmaceuticals market in Australia. Would you say you always had big, even global goals for Chemist Warehouse in 2000? When we started the first store in 2000, we were just happy to, to have it succeed. I mean, you know, and then when we opened the second store, we were glad that that was, uh, you know, helping. Yeah, it was sort of like uh, few yeah. that yeah, worked. As I, as I said in the last episode, um, I really haven't um, – uh, I'm not really a person that sort of sits back and, uh, and, and takes in what the success and plans the next one. We just – I'm always pushing for, you know, to, for more, more, more. Yeah, you know, to 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 you know grow and grow. Was there one crucial step that really catapulted Chemist Warehouse into strong growth and sustainability? Chemist Warehouse was what was what what was this the step that this that led to success. We had um, open pharmacies in uh, New South Wales and in other states, and they're very hard to manage because. Uh, with difficulty managing. If you've got a pharmacy doing $2 million or you've got one doing $8 million, $9, $10, $12 million, which is what average is at the moment, it's much the same amount of work and management, but you get three times the bang for your buck when you've got a larger store. So the very fact that they were turning over large volumes of stock and uh, the sales volume was growing, we were getting good advertising, was what made the whole thing. That was really the pivotal point, I think. Yeah, right. And did you go the um, franchise route or do you own all of them? All the pharmacies are owned by partners um, that are partners and they're also franchisees. So we have a partnership arrangement. Because of the pharmacy laws in Australia, you're only allowed to own maximum of uh, five pharmacies in any state. So Oh, really? Them, what, yes, one person's only allowed to own five pharmacies? In any one state. That seems pretty anti-competitive. It is. The whole industry is very anti-competitive. The Guild is extremely anti-competitive, but – but we still manage. Um, 
because so of what, that. So they come in as as manager owner as partners, right? But they're they're franchised. Then what we decided to do was to um, franchise the business so that um, so that there could be a succession planning because only pharmacists right. come in. So yeah. So, and 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 the partners have equity in the franchise or as well. So it's a uh, it, it's it's a it's a situation where there's a win-win for both, and they win in the store and they win on the franchise. All right, and and sorry, just uh, it's probably too detailed, but is the partner generally a pharmacist, or no, could they just be a business manager? Or? Uh, all our partners have to be pharmacists. We oh, only right, have pharmacists partners. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever had to go to the market to raise capital? Never. So you haven't been in debt since when? Since we sold Australis. Wow. And you've never had to go to market to raise any money to fund any of these new stores? No. But your partners, they obviously have to put money in. They put money in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's very important that they have skin in the game. Yeah. Um, There's a big difference between someone that's uh, an employee and then someone that's a, that's actually got skin in the game and actually got his money on the line and he's probably got his parents' guarantee supporting the money that he put into the business. Um, and it works really well because, you know, the motivation with someone that's got skin in the game is so much higher than 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 anyone someone that doesn't. Yeah, that's extraordinary. But how did you manage that scale up, that very dramatic growth at Chemist Warehouse? You still had to grow your teams, find partners, you know, do all that, do the stock, um, the contracts with the multinational companies, all that sort of thing. Well, we've got a we've got a big head off of staff. But just to explain how a partner becomes a partner. Um, we do, we have about 500 trainees every year. Uh, when you do pharmacy, it's a four-year course and one-year traineeship. Ah, apprenticeship. okay. So we generally have the have them as as students uh, when they start pharmacy first and second year working in the store, and then they do their traineeship. After their traineeship and they become qualified. Um, about half of them will go and work in hospitals or or uh, in or industry. Yeah, half of who are left will probably go back to Malaysia or China or Hong Kong, uh, and they become king of the castle there because they're tra- Australian trained pharmacists. So about a quarter of the people that we train, that's all, uh, will end up being pharmacists going through the system. And the better ones, the ones that um, have been with us, the ones that are successful in the stores and become area managers, they'll be offered a partnership when we open a new store. And so they've been with us about 10 years. So wow. the culture yeah. the culture is there. And so they bring the culture to that store and all the people that they train uh, have bought, been through the same culture. Um, and that's and essentially your culture that you've trained them. I mean, they've been university trained, but then you've trained them in the retail space. When they come out of university, they they wouldn't they wouldn't know uh, <laughs> they wouldn't know what to do with it. You know, with, with, with it, how to order, how to use a register. They've got no idea on how to handle money. They've got no idea on any business aspects. All they know is they know that the pharmaceutical. Pharmacology, pharm- yeah. you know, they know all of that, 
which is terrific, and we have very qualified and very good pharmacists, but they also need to understand retail because ultimately it's a retail business. Mm. Just That's extraordinary. So do you have relationships with the universities? We do. We help them with uh, – we probably we are probably the, the best uh, retail training in the last year because they've done all the In their final work. year, yeah. In their, in their final year. We we have relationships with them. We go on we go on campus and we and we uh, actively uh, encourage students to join us. Jack, you've just launched another whole new operation, Optometrist Warehouse. Have I got that right? And how did yeah, that come got, about? And why are you doing that? Well, that's an interesting story. I've had a lot of experience in in optics. Um, from the days of the specs um, and sunglasses. In fact, we had a distributor in New Zealand called Optical Holdings uh, who distributed the specs and Latan. Uh, they were our, they were our distributors there. And they had a company called Optical Holdings in Australia that distributed optical products to optometrists. And we said to them, look, you know, if you're going to operate in New Zealand, then we don't want you to operate in Australia we'll take over your optometrist optical distribution business in Australia, mutually agreed upon that. And so we actually had um, products that we distributed to optometrists. Um, we, we were the agents for, for Topcon uh, equipment. So we've, yeah, we've had a lot of experience in the optical industry. About two years ago, uh, we found someone was um, had knocked off our trademark and had um, Spectacles Warehouse, uh, which was in a house form like the chemist warehouse form. And we said, you can't do that. He said, okay, I won't do it. But he said, why don't we why don't we go in and do business together and have Optometrist Warehouse? And I said, what a good idea. It didn't quite work out with him, but we ended up with a couple of partners who are running it. And uh, we, we see this as being a good extension of what we do because it's in the health area. So I don't know. I don't know if you know, but um, people with diabetes have deteriorating eyesight, mm. and if we, if you do an eye test with the with the equipment that we have, which is you know, very sophisticated equipment, we can actually tell if you're diabetic. We can tell if you've got high blood pressure. So if you come into an optometrist warehouse for an eye test, we can probably send you to the doctor to to be treated for diabetes because we'll be able to pick up diabetes in doing that. Well, now, wouldn't any other optometrist be able to do that if they have good equipment? They could, but because we're related to Chemist Warehouse, we've got a Chemist Warehouse next door, and because we specifically look for it, and because we've got the latest of the uh, of the equipment, and most optometrists don't have right. the sophisticated cameras and equipment and, and technology that we have, they're not able to do that. And the other thing is, is that where someone has a prescription for, uh, a, for a diabetic product, we can talk to them and say to them, you realise that your eyesight can deteriorate quickly and you should have it checked every 12 mm. months. Why don't mm. you go next door, mm. they both bill an eye test and uh, you, you can look after your health. Right. So how so are you going to make money if you bulk bill? Just yeah. accept the bulk billing income? The bulk billing's fine, uh, covers the costs, and then we make the money on the selling of the, of the frames. Right, yeah. And all the, uh, all the, all the other things. Yeah. And, it, it, it's a good model. It works well. 
And so, uh, are you trialing it, piloting it, or are you just going to roll it all out? We we piloted it in in um, in Malvern, Glenferrad, Malvern, next door to our own next door to our chemist warehouse store. It's got to be related to chemist warehouse because yeah. we've, we've got to get the um, the referrals. That that gave us enough. Um, uh, signals that it was going to be successful it it it, it, um, it needs a fair bit of tweaking but we we see this as being being a very very successful potentially successful business we should have about two to three hundred stores within about uh, three years throughout Australia that's just extraordinary but I mean yeah. let me play devil's advocate why would consumers come to you when say you know spec savers already has a pretty good hold it would seem on the market? Specsavers has got a great hold and they've got a good market share. The reason is because we are more health-related than Specsavers and we can do uh, the, the relationship between the, between the pharmacy, the medical profession mm-hmm, and, right. and, and, and optometry. Um, and besides, we're, we're giving Specsavers a run for their money on pricing uh, because we always believe you've got to delight your customers and uh, we've – Put together an extremely good range uh, of products at very good pricing, and uh, all the testing is bulk build, so there's no out of pocket expenses. And in most cases, people have um, they have their health insurance, private health insurance. They have two to three hundred dollars a year that they can uh, claim. Uh, and so, in most cases, in most cases. The uh, the frames and the testing, everything are free. Yeah. So, will you again go with? properly trained optometrists uh, oh, no, no. as your partners or? Yes. Well, I'm not sure about the partnership. Right. Uh, we've got partners that, and, and, and interesting, interestingly, the, the two partners we have were associated with the beginning of Specsavers. Oh, so really? Were, These are properly trained people? Yes, properly trained optometrists who are very commercial and uh, the interesting thing is that it's really hard to get optometrists because there's a real shortage of optometrists. Uh, the universities don't put out enough. But when we opened and we had the model where we were doing it really for the health of the, of the consumer, the health of the patient, optometrists flocked from everywhere saying, we want to sign up, we want to work with you because we want to be able to provide the healthy solution to the consumer. Amazing. Jack, there has been strong talk of an IPO uh, coming this year. Now, has that been put on the back burner? We are looking at all options, and IPO is one of the options. What we really want to do is to be able to have liquidity for the partners. Uh, we don't really want to take money off the table because, you know, we're cash flow positive. But we want to be able to have succession planning so that my children, my grandchildren uh, can – look back and say, my grandfather started this business, you know, 50 years ago, and we own equity in the company. Um, the public market um, gives access to um, opportunities. If we want to go to America, for example, and we want to, say, take over Rite Aid, mm. something I've been looking at, um, in a public market, you can raise the money very quickly yeah. and you can bring in equity from outside. So we're in a position where we really need to um, run like a public listed company and take advantage of all of the things that a public listed company can add uh, 
value with. Yeah, but I guess the IPO market at the moment, given the economic circumstances, interest rates, um, not free money anymore, you know, it's much tighter. So would that cause you to perhaps put it on hold for a while? It's on hold because we're really not not ready. We're still getting our uh, our structure right. And we're not really uh, anxious to take money off the table. In fact, we don't want to take any money off the table. So what if you IPO, you won't become even richer? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you will. (sighs) Okay, I never think about that. And I'm embarrassed by all those all the publicity. Um, oh, I know it's. By it's the a- way, by the way, by the way, I'm going to sue those papers because I'm going to sue them for flattery. <laughs> oh well, I've probably given you enough flattery today. So uh, it is interesting. I mean, you know, if you go public, you you will have to sell some of your shareholding, um, and that's what will make you even more money than you already have. I don't understand, well, I do understand it's such an Australian way not to want to talk about money or how much personal wealth or what it does to you. But now that we're on the subject, how do you view the the idea that your parents came here and kind of had nothing and you've made such a fortune? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Such a fortune. Well, yeah, I mean, the answer is I – like I said, with, uh, with any goals that we have, I've, I've never looked back and sort of said, here's where I am and I'm really, you know, um, celebrating it, you know. Mm. Uh, you just keep moving forward. Yeah. Do you buy expensive boats and no, no, spend no, no, 50 no. million I mean, I said, on yachts? And- I, said, I, said, I said, if I buy a private jet, then you better get me certified. <laughs> I, I, still, I still find it. I still find it difficult to travel business class. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, because you know, think about it. It's tw- I went to America for a uh, for for a conference, and it was twenty thousand mm. dollars on bonus in business class. Yeah, well, that is ridiculous. But you know, it is ridiculous, and I thought you deserve it. Well, yeah, but you know, I still find it hard to justify. Yeah, anyway. Jack. What are your markers of success with Chemist Warehouse? I mean, you started with really two employees, you founders, and you've ended up with numerous employees operating in several countries, 560 stores, you know, 8 billion in turnover a year. What are your markers of success for the business? Um. I really don't have. I mean, like it all goes back to what you said. You know, do, do I sit and celebrate? You know, achievements. I don't really because um, I don't really have a business plan uh, other than saying in my mind I want to go to. Uh, at the moment, at the moment, I'm negotiating with Israel. Um, the Israeli government approached approached me and approached us and said, "Please, can you come to Israel?" Because we're being uh, gouged by the incumbent there. So I went over there and I looked at the market, and true, as they said, the prices over there were two to three times the prices as in Australia. But the problem is that the importers have a monopoly and they have very high prices to the retailer. So I said to the Israeli government, the only way you're actually going to be able to make this work, and we'd love to come there, is you've got to allow us to bring parallel imports. We've got to be able to import our own products without any restrictions. Mm. And they said, 
we'll do that. And so we're, we're working. With, I actually spoke to Knesset. I had a meeting with them, uh, with the government, mm-hmm. and we, we, we are, we're looking at opening uh, stores in Israel. Uh, I've got a partner. We've, we've formed a partnership with um, with a couple of Israeli uh, pharmacists, and uh, we look like we're opening there within the next 12 months. As soon as the Israeli government changes the legislation and allows parallel importing. Mm. The thing is that Israel has such restrictions on importing. They have uh, they have a, a regulation on everything. And if you don't comply to the Israeli regulations, you can't bring it in. Yeah. For example, there's, there's, there's a standard on backpacks, you know, like rucksacks. Yeah. Nowhere in the world, anywhere in the world, is there a standard on, on, on backpacks. So would you believe that the two people on the Standards Committee of the Backpacks are the two importers of backpacks in Israel? Oh, gosh, that's not a conflict of interest or anything, is it? Not at all. And that's what happens everywhere. You know, the prices there are just, you know, are just outrageous. And we want to help the consumer. I mean, in Australia, I I would say we probably save the Australian consumer a billion dollars a year. If you work out our discount that we offer on retail, but, but and and sorry, Jack. Just on that, are you still saying publicly that you take offer twenty five percent discount on every single product in your stores? On average, yeah, twenty five percent. What does on average mean? Well, because some things we can't because because it, if we'd sold at twenty five percent below cost, we would we would be low cost, and some things we can give big discounts. So okay. across the board, it's about twenty five percent. Um, I mean, we also have a lot of promotions. I mean, we have half-price vitamins yeah. a lot of the time, and a lot of consumers buy their vitamins when it's half-price. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our competitors buy vitamins from us when it's half-price and sell it at full price. Jack, where do you think this entrepreneurial streak came from? We talked briefly earlier about your your folks having come from Russia, even though they were Polish Jews after World War II. Were they business people before the war? Not where really. Did, no, where did your streak come from? I don't know. Not really. I mean, my parents, my father was a farrier, made fur coats. My mother was a dressmaker, and and um, when they came to Australia, um, my father got a job uh, at, a, at making fur coats. Yeah, my mother um, was was working uh, machining, and at night time, uh, back in those days, manufacturing in Australia was that was the thing. Yeah, what would happen would be there'd be outworkers where the factory would cut the fabric, and they would take three or four pieces to a. To, you know, to someone's house, yeah, and they would sew those three or four pieces together, and then they would take those three or four pieces to the next house where they would sew two lots of, you know, oh, and they would make piece it that workers, way. yeah, piece workers, yeah, exactly right, and you get paid like ten cents a piece that you, yeah, every every piece that you did was ten cents a piece, and that and they were twenty four seven, and then my father bought a, a milk bar, and uh, you know, and he would open five o'clock in the morning and would work until midnight. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, I don't sleep. I guess he never slept. And I, I guess I must be, I don't know whether it's from that or, but, you Cut know. from I, the same I, cloth. If I have four hours sleep, I'd be lucky. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, they do say if you don't get your sleep, it does shorten your life. I hate I to tell you. That. Well, <laughs> I understand that. Well, you know, I try um, to sleep. Uh, Jack, um, 
So would you say, I don't want to dwell on it too long, but would you say you had a tough childhood growing up then? Were you handed everything on a platter? I am guessing not. Very tough. Um, I went to South Brunswick State School, which was a redneck sort of area back then, and uh, um, it was pretty tough. I mean, like, you know, Italians and Jews, were, you know, like it was, you know, a lot mm. of racial prejudice there. Um, I went to Princess Hill Central School uh, and then University High, which was a um, an elite school that you had to, you had to have a certain um, academic level to be able to go to. And then... I actually got into medicine, you know, all my life I wanted to be a doctor. And it was because my parents never gave me anything that I decided I didn't want to do another seven years of study. And I decided, well, I'm not going to do medicine. I actually got into medicine. And a lot of people that I went to uni high with um, ended up as eminent doctors, uh, professors. Um, I decided the last minute, even though I got into medicine, I wanted to, I'd end up doing pharmacy. So I had an epiphany and I decided to do pharmacy. Yeah. In order to earn money um, quicker in your life. Because I didn't want another seven years yeah. of study where um, I used to work every school holiday um, to support myself. My parents never gave. I bought my, my, I bought my car from the efforts of working every holiday. You know, people would go and have beach holidays. I would uh, I'd be working. Mm. Family's obviously still very important to you. You mentioned your yes. your wife Evelyn, and she's been with you in this journey. Yes, uh, plus yes. your brother. And uh, why yes. is family so important? I mean, I know that's an obvious <laughs> question, but why why is it to you? I think well, you know, it's a European thing. I think um, uh, it's just you know, inbred in into. I don't know. It just comes with the genes. I think I don't know, but uh, you know, we have Shabbat dinners. Where we have the family, um, which what every show. Friday night, most Friday nights. Wow, yes. okay. And now we do it at my daughter's place, um, and so uh, it'll, she'll have uh, great there, or we'll have. But yeah, most Friday nights we have a Shabbat dinner. We we don't have it as a as a religious you know, thing, but we do it as a traditional thing, and we still yeah. say the prayers and and light the candles and have the challah. Um, yeah, it's it's important. Jack, a few very quick questions to finish on. I'm asking all my guests this. What are you obsessed about at the moment? Obsessed about? Mm, be it a cause, um, a dish, a book, if you ever get to read one, a product, um, a grandchild. Well, with my family, I mean, I've got uh, four grandkids. We just came back from from a holiday in Morocco uh, where we took all the whole family. There was nine of us. We travelled around in a bus. Um, and, Fabulous. Uh, fantastic. So, you know, we were sort of a bit trying. We've got three high-testosterone kids, six, 15, 16, 17. Oh, yes. Yeah, so it was a bit trying. <laughs> it was fantastic. You know, it was great. I mean, that's what life's all about. You know, it's about the next generation and the generation after that. Jack, what's the toughest thing you think you've faced in your entrepreneurial, your business journey? You know, I've asked, I've been asked that a lot, a lot of times, and people said to me, you know, have you, have you ever had failures? Sure, I've had failures, but you know, I, I don't really remember them. I sort of tend to, um, you know, forget about them because I don't move on. I mean, in sales, 
the most difficult thing for a salesman is to not take no as a failure because no isn't a failure. No means that you haven't really explained it to the customer what the customer wants or you haven't listened to what they, you haven't overcome the objection. And if they say no, find out why they said no because that's the objection and then overcome the objection. If you can't overcome the objection, you're not going to be able to sell. If you don't know what the objection is, you can't sell. What's the biggest lesson you've learned on this business journey? The biggest lesson I've learned is that you don't want to get into a fair fight. You want to have a strategic advantage. And people said to me, oh, that's crap. What the strategic advantage did you have a pharmacist, you know, starting off in business? Well, I had a strategic advantage because if you remember, I was selling sunglasses to fellow pharmacists. That was my strategic advantage because there was 100 people trying to sell sunglasses to each of the, every pharmacy, but they listened to me because I was a fellow pharmacist. Mm. And then and then the strategic advantage that, that, that we had um, with when we started Chemist Warehouse was that we had – we had 50 stores that gave us the basis of the support of the manufacturers and enabled us to be able to you know, leverage that into the, uh, into, into the Chemist Warehouse brand. So, you know, people say to me, I've got this great business idea. And I say, okay, put the business idea aside. The person over there has got exactly the same business idea as you have, exactly the same business idea. What advantage do you have? What are you going to, how, how are you going to make it successful? And if you tell me that you've got more money, forget about it. Money's not important in, in business. You, you know, you can borrow money, you can get money. Um, don't tell me you're going to work hard because everyone's going to work hard. Now, if you've got an idea, say you've got an automatic poo picker upper for dogs. Okay. And you reckon that it's the best thing you've ever seen. It's going to be fantastic. Revolutionize the industry. What advantage do you have if your father uh, is um, the president of the uh, Veterinary Association and they've got 2,000 stores? You've got an advantage. Mm. If you can't tell me an advantage, then go for something that gives you an advantage. There's, advantage, there's advantages there everywhere. you just got to see, find the advantage and, and use it. Yeah. Jack Gantz, it's been a great pleasure to speak to you and interview you. And thank you so much for your insights and for joining us on Build It, Thou Come. Helen, thank you. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.